Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles and turning to 2 Samuel chapter 10, I have a special bond with Will. I had three sisters, and we never sang together. We couldn't get along that long to be able to get up. Thank the Lord for Will and his sisters and for the Ogdens and for their ministry tonight. Ushers are coming by, and they have carrying with them some uh, um, outline sheets that will be a help to you as we together open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. As we continue in our consideration of the life of King David. 2 Samuel chapter 10. I want to speak this evening on what it means to face the giant of grace rejected. There are no doubt some here this evening who as yet are not confident of salvation. And so I particularly ask that this evening you focus very carefully on the message that we discover in God's Word in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and see with me tonight what it means to reject the grace of God when it's extended to us. 2 Samuel chapter 10 beginning in verse 1, it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan. That word kindness we discovered last week is the Hebrew word kashed, which means grace. I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their Lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off the one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of the king Micah, a thousand men, and Ishtab, 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. The children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array in the entering of the gate of the Syrians of Zobah, of Rahab and Ishtab and Makkah, were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all of the choice men of Israel, put them in array against the Syrians, and the rest of the people he delivered to the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for thee, or for me rather, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the God and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together and had a 
Rezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam, and Sobak, the captain of the host of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. The Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men, 700 chariots of the Syrians, 40,000 horsemen, and smote Sobak, the captain of their host, and he died. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, I pray that You'd help us tonight to see the message of Your grace displayed page after page, even in obscure passages in Your Word. May we be challenged by it this evening. And Lord, if there's somebody here who as yet has never come to Christ as Savior, may this evening be the time when they seize hold of the grace of God and answer the invitation that God has given to them. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You discover in studying 2 Samuel 9 and 10 that there are two chapters who have a whole, lot of, a whole lot in common. Both chapters, of course, are introducing us to David, the man who had a heart after God's own heart. In both chapters, David has a desire to minister grace. In chapter 9, David's desire is to minister grace to Mephibosheth, who is the son of his friend Jonathan, who was the grandson of Israel's first king, King Saul. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, David, still desiring to minister grace, now is seeking to minister grace to Hanan, who is the son of the Ammonite king Nahas. And so David's heart is the same, to minister grace to two who naturally would be his enemies. Mephibosheth, who may well say, I have a right to the throne, and to an Ammonite prince. As we look in these passages, David sends in both passages, both in chapter 9 and chapter 10, servants. He sends servants to explain his kindness and his grace, his intent to be a blessing, first to Mephibosheth, and then we see in this chapter that he sends to bring kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahesh. Chapter 9 ends happily. Mephibosheth receives the grace that David extends. Chapter 10 ends sadly. For in verse 18, David slew 40,000 of the footmen or the horsemen and smote Shobach and the captain. In chapter 9, there is the acceptance of grace. Mephibosheth humbly says to David, who am I that thou shouldest minister grace to such a dead dog as I am? But in chapter 10, the grace that David extends is haughtily received. In fact, it's spurned and turned away. Chapter 9, peace and provision. Chapter 10, war and destruction. Chapter 9, one man adopted even as a son of the king. Chapter 10, many destroyed because of the impudence of the one who otherwise could have received grace extended. Chapter 9, grace extended and received. Chapter 10, grace extended and rejected. In chapter 9, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, receives the grace that David extends. He becomes a representative then of every believer who receives the grace of God. Chapter 10, 
Prince Hanan, the son of Nahesh, rejects the grace extended by David, and he becomes a picture of every unbeliever who rejects the grace of God extended and is destroyed. 2 Samuel 9 and 10 then stand, if you don't mind, as a unit together to explain to us the ramifications of grace extended, sometimes received with great blessing attending, sometimes with rejection and terrible, terrible the sorrow that comes. We should learn in these chapters, never ever refuse the grace of God that's extended. When God's mercy is extended toward you, an opportunity is given for you to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Run and accept that grace. When God's grace is extended toward you so that you can repent of your sin and ask for His blessed forgiveness, run and accept that forgiveness. Never refuse God's offer of grace. D.L. Moody began his ministry really as a Sunday school worker among those who at that time were called the street urchins especially of Chicago, Illinois. He had a special burden for these young, impoverished children who came into his Sunday school class and always, always wanted to share the gospel with them so that they could come to Christ as Savior. He had one student in his class that he spoke of when he was interviewed for his memoirs who never seemed to be willing to receive the blessing of salvation. Mr. Moody prayed for that student. He witnessed to that student. The day came that that student actually came to Moody's house and knocked on the door and said, Mr. Moody, you were my Sunday school teacher once. I want you to know that I'm moving out west to make my fortune. Moody, of course, witnessed to that young person again. And once again, that young person did not receive Christ as Savior. The young person moved out west. Over time, word came back to Moody that that young person had died very unexpectedly and very tragically. Moody never got over that. He often would talk about the burden of his heart, the burden of knowing that a student in his Sunday school class had the opportunity to be saved and never was. The songwriter picked up on that burden when the songwriter said, someday you'll hear God's final call of grace. And you'll have no chance, your footsteps, to retrace. This could be it, my friend, and doom you'll face. God's final call. Has it crossed your mind this evening that as we gather here at Colonial Hills Baptist Church on this Sunday evening in September, that it could be the final opportunity for someone to accept the grace of God that's extended? In the passage before us, we learn that everyone needs to be warned Everyone needs to be warned. Those who've grown up in Christian homes, those who've gone to Christian schools, those who've been in youth groups surrounded by the gospel, that everyone needs to be warned. That God's grace needs to be received. You dare not reject the grace of God. There are clear reminders in this passage that parallel each of our experiences when it comes to God's grace extended. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, we discover a gracious invitation that is given. The facts of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 10 are rather brief, quite clear, and often very memorable. David in verse 1 heard that Nahash the king of Ammon was dead. And since Nahash the king of Ammon, an Ammonite king, had been kind to David, had showed grace to David, David wanted to be kind to the surviving son, Hanan, 
And so David, in verse 2, reaches out graciously to comfort Hanan, the son of Nahash, after his father has died. It's a 3,000-year-old story, this story in 2 Samuel chapter 10, but it reminds us of a universal truth. David is the sovereign king, and David the sovereign king is extending his gracious hand to someone who's in a difficult time. As a sovereign king in chapter 9, David had reached out to Mephibosheth, the son of his friend Jonathan, and oh how Mephibosheth had thrilled to receive the blessing of sitting at the king's table. But in chapter 10, it's not the same story. And even so, we ought to be reminded as we gather here this evening that the grace of God that bringeth salvation, Titus chapter 2 says, has appeared to all men, to you and to me. God's grace extended in giving us life and breath, in ministering to our daily needs. God's grace especially extended in showing to us the special mercy that was given when Jesus Christ died upon the cross for our sins. God's gracious invitation God's gracious invitation, I think, is modeled in the invitation that David gives here because that gracious invitation was motivated by a relationship with another. This gracious invitation is reaching out to the unworthy. Who is this Ammonite? Who is this Nahash? Who is this Hanan? Strangers to us whose names are listed here in the everlasting Word of God, but these strangers to us could have been friends of David, and that's the point. Their names are recorded, even as every name, every name is known by God. And the Word of God tells us that we can have a relationship with God, not because of our own merit, because rather of the merit of another. And so it is that David said, I will show kindness unto Hanun, verse 2, the son of Nahash, as his father hath showed kindness unto me. Those who have a relationship with the Heavenly Father always have that relationship because of a relationship that they have with another. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Your relationship with the Father is based on your relationship with the Son. You cannot have a relationship with God, your Creator, until you first accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and bow before Him, accepting the free gift that He gives of eternal life. In the passage, we see a parallel, don't we? Here is one who's being offered a relationship with the king based on that king's relationship with another. I was reading recently of a dramatic rescue of an Afghani ally of the United States troops. His name, Mohammed Khalid Wardik, a high-profile Afghani man in charge of part of the Afghani National Police, an ally of the United States since way back in the early 2000s. Way back in 2013, Khalid rescued some special forces Americans from certain death. In 2015, he gave up part of his foot in a battle against the Taliban. And so it was that some special forces units had a special burden to see this man rescued, and rescued he was. He was taken out of Afghanistan under an operation entitled Operation Promise Kept. He and his family, four children, all have arrived safely here in the United States of America. People celebrated their arrival not too long ago. They celebrated their arrival as much they should because Mohammed Khalid Wardak befriended our troops, helped and aided our troops, 
And because he befriended our troops, his children now have an opportunity to grow up in the United States of America. His children have an opportunity to enjoy what few others will enjoy based on a relationship that their father had enjoyed with American troops. Do you realize that even so, our relationship with the Heavenly Father is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ, His Son. And the grace that's extended to us by the Father is extended to us, not because of our own merit, but because of the merit of this that we come to know and believe and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Have you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus said in John 14 and verse 21, He that loveth me will be loved of my Father where we receive God's grace because of our own merit, because of what we've done, what we've accomplished, who we are, it wouldn't be grace. Are you sure of a relationship with Jesus? This gracious invitation was motivated not only by a relationship with another, but also by a great compassion. David's heart was moved with compassion toward Hanan when he heard of the death of Nahash, Hanan's Ammonite father. What a mystery that David, the king over all of Israel, would have a burden for someone so unknown who represents seemingly such another culture, the Ammonite people. And even so, God's compassion made him willing to send his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a sacrifice for our sins. For the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the God commended his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent the Son to comfort us who otherwise would be swallowed up in the sorrow of our sin. He sent the Son to console us in our loneliness. God's incomprehensible grace is incomparable, motivated by a relationship with the Son, motivated by the blessing of His compassion. And so we see in this text a gracious invitation that is extended But how is that gracious invitation received? Well, that leads us to look at the groundless suspicion. Hanan rejected David's offer of grace. Hanan knew, knew very little about David after all, and he had never met this one who had been a shepherd who was now a sovereign, this one who had been rejected, who had now been received. He didn't know him. And so the Bible tells us in verse 3, the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanan, their Lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and spy it out and to overthrow it? They are planting seeds of suspicion in the minds of the one who could have received grace. Bishop Hall observes, it's hard for the wicked, it's hard for the wicked to think well of any other because it can think none better than itself and knows itself well. It's hard for the wicked of heart to think better of others. Knowing itself well It always exercises suspicion toward others. Every believer is an ambassador of Christ. Every one of us has been given the opportunity to go out and share the grace of God. That salvation is free for us, received by the payment that Jesus has paid for us on the cross. This is our mission. But unfortunately, there are those who will say, hey, 
You don't want to receive the offer of salvation because, I mean, if you receive the offer of salvation, God's going to make you a missionary to Africa. God's going to take away all your friends. You'll never be allowed to smile again. If you get saved, I mean, all of life's fun is gone. Suspicion is bred all around. Be careful. There may be somebody in this room this evening who has paused and not received the grace of God because of the whispers of others. In the passage before us, we discover that many people fail to accept the grace of God, and they fail to accept because they follow a multitude. They follow a multitude. I find it interesting that the princes, verse 3, of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their Lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? It was an oft-repeated counsel that this man was receiving. But the Bible warns, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood on the plains of Dura in a great multitude of people before the idol that had been placed before them. The whispers had no doubt had their way, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to stand for God rather than to be impacted by the multitude. And every one of us is going to accept the grace of God, has to be willing to plug their ears at times from the multitude and realize that broad is the way, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many that go in thereat. You can't allow your decision to accept God's grace to be impacted by the multitude. There are those who reject God's grace because they tend to follow the powerful. These were princes after all. And today there are powerful voices that would tell you, don't be saved, don't trust in Christ, don't become a Christian and in any other way they would counsel. Who are those voices? Sometimes the voices are voices of professors in esteemed schools and authors of books of philosophy. Sometimes the voices are voices of politicians who seemingly have power and sometimes the voices are just the voices of personal friends who cause us to shudder and to stop. Jesus warned in Matthew 19, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for those who are rich and powerful to come into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians warns it's not many noble and not many mighty and not many wise who are called. There are many who follow the negative instead of receiving the positive. Is there any more positive message that the world has ever heard than this? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's a wonderful message. It's a message that tears off the tyranny of chains that causes us to think, I can work my way to heaven. It's the message that causes us to be able to live in the liberty of God's love. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But the whisperers say, not so fast, not so fast. There's got to be an ulterior motive here. Hanan's advisors remind us that there is an accuser who accuses the brethren night and day, night and day. And from the beginning, his plot was to accuse the love of our God. Years ago, I had the privilege of sitting on an airplane, flying home from South Carolina. I'd been taking a class, and the fellow who was sitting next to me in the seat had just come through boot camp. His head was shaved. He'd passed boot camp. He was from Iowa. I said, so what are you doing in South Carolina? He said, well, I just got done with boot camp. I'm going home. I said, oh, that's great. How'd you do? He said, well, I made it, but it was rough. I said, well, tell me about it. He took a deep breath and he said, well, they had us do a lot of stuff that makes you wonder if you're going to live through it. 
talk about a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. I said, well, all of us need to be wondering if we're going to live through it because the truth is none of us are. And I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with that young man, and he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. In the midst of the conversation, I said to him, so are you ready today to trust Jesus Christ as Savior? And he said, you know, I am ready. He said, I've been waiting a long time. In fact, I've had a lot of pressure not to do this. I've got a lot of people who are telling me that I really shouldn't do this, but it seems that the Spirit of God is making me willing, or words to that effect. He trusted the Lord. I remember that conversation because, in truth, there are a lot of people who are never that transparent. Did you know you can go to a Christian school and have friends that will encourage you not to live for the Lord? Did you know that you can grow up in a Christian home and even have family members who tell you not to get saved? Pastor Phelps, really? Really? When I gave my life in service for the Lord, I had family members who counseled me and told me that I was crazy. There'll always be those who are like these princes who are spoken of here, who will whisper and say, you don't need to receive the grace of God. In the passage before us, we see something very sad. We see a grievous rejection, a grievous rejection. David's servants are come to be treated shamefully by the Ammonites. Verse 4, wherefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, even to the buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And often people will use that phrase to tell people, when your beard is grown, when you've matured, then you can offer your opinion. That's not at all what's happening in this passage. What's happening in this passage is the servants of David are terribly, terribly humiliated. They have come with a message of peace. They've come with a message of grace. But 2 Chronicles 35 says, The Lord sent unto them His messengers because He had compassion on His people, but they mocked the messengers of God. They despised His words. They misused His prophets. Throughout the pages of God's Word, we read of the misuse of God's prophets. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit. Isaiah was sawn asunder. The Bible tells us that Daniel, Daniel was fed to the lions. God's servants have often suffered shamefully. So often that Jesus stands before Jerusalem and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. We know in God's word that the shameful treatment of the prophets is found from page to page. How many they are, these who loyally shared the grace of God, even as these servants of David were sharing that David wanted to do well to Hanan, the son of Nahesh, the Ammonite. And we're reminded that the Savior, the Son of God, was treated shamefully. Isaiah says, they plucked out his beard. Luke tells us he was subjected to buffeting and spat upon. And so we should expect that the servants of God today, you and I, when sharing the good news of the grace of God, can expect to be treated shamefully. What's true for others before us is true for us now. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 18, If the world hate me, don't you know it will hate you? You know it hated me before it hated 
you. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. In fact, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. As we look in this passage, we discover some men who have been dreadfully treated. Their beards have been cut. Their clothing has been mutilated. James Freeman says, according to the Oriental sediment, a great indignity could not have been a greater indignity could not have been put upon them. The beard. For the Oriental was considered a symbol of manhood and in some places of freedom, slaves being compelled to shave their beards in a token of servitude. By shaving half their beards, Hanun not only treated David's ambassadors with contempt, but he made them objects of ridicule. So disgraceful is it considered in some areas of the Orient to have your beard cut off that some would prefer death. Shamefully despised maligned and mistreated. I remember being in my office a number of years ago and receiving a call from a lady who only recently had come to Christ as her Savior. She wept. I said, Sally, what's the matter? She said, well, Pastor, you know the situation in my home. I said, yes, I do. She said, well, my husband's so mad that I'm a Christian that he has been not only verbally abusive, but today he picked my Bible up and he threw it out in the snowstorm. She was sobbing as she realized her task and duty was to tell her husband of the love of God, of the grace of God. But her reality was rejection over and over and over again. In the passage before us, there's another parallel that we need to see, and that parallel is this. This is a story that leads to great destruction. Great destruction. You come to discover in this passage that there was no alliance that could protect Hanun, the son of Nahash, the Ammonite, realizing that what he had done, even though his princes had advised him to reject the grace that was offered, could now cause him to meet the wrath of David. Verse 5, when they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. The king said, tarry there at Jericho. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maka, 1,000 men, and Ishtab, 12,000 men. Let's put together an alliance. We're in trouble now. Shouldn't have done this. Maybe the Syrians can help us out. But there was no alliance that was going to help them out. David and the power of the Lord is going to bring the wrath of God upon the Ammonites. There was no army that could withstand that wrath when it came. In verse 9, when Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And General Joab, the general unto David, said to his men, verse 12, Be of good courage, let us play the men of our people. For the cities of our God and for the Lord, do that which seemeth good. Verse 14, And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai, and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon. And when it was told David, verse 17, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew of the men 700 chariots of the Syrians, 40,000 horsemen. He smote of Sobak, the captain of their host. So, so many died. 
Why? Why did they die? Because a foolish prince had rejected an offer of grace, humiliated the servants of a king, and thought he could ally himself with the enemies of that same king and stand strong in that alliance against the judgment that befell him. The story is told of the Battle of New Orleans. New Orleans, depending on how you say it, in 1812. In the War of 1812, sadly, there was fought a battle that didn't have to happen. The Battle of New Orleans. You see, a peace treaty had already been signed. But Andrew Jackson, who led the American forces into battle, didn't know of that peace treaty. And so a battle ensued. 24 Americans died, 115 were wounded, 74 went missing. The British who lost the battle reported losses of 46 men, 167 wounded, 64 missing. It all happened after the peace treaty was signed. The War of 1812 was effectively over, and yet they fought out the Battle of New Orleans because the peace had not been received. The message of peace had not been received. And even this evening, we go out from this place with a message of peace into a world that may not know peace and may reject peace. A world that rejecting the grace of God stands ready to receive the wrath of God. And even in this room this evening, there may be someone who as yet has never received the grace of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't put it off. Don't mistreat the Lord's messengers. Don't think that you'll have another day. The day of reckoning will come. The day of reckoning for Hanan, the son of Nahash, came. Thousands were impacted who needed not be impacted had they only received the grace extended. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.